Talking Leafs podcast. Subscribe so you don't miss an episode on Spotify, SoundCloud, or Apple Podcasts, or wherever you get your podcasts. Here's Nick D'Souza and Kevin Papetti. Welcome to the Everything Leafs Podcast. I'm Kevin Papetti here with Nick D'Souza as always. Nick, it's been about a month and a half since our last podcast. Not a lot has happened, but one thing that has happened is Zach Aston Reese. Let's get your thoughts on Aston Reese. Yeah, we're jumping right into it, right into the uh, the meat and potatoes of a pretty slow month and a half, as you were saying, right? Like, we're, we're going to have to kind of take off the cobwebs here. <laughs> I think with uh, Aston with- Reese, like, it's it's a bit of a boring one, too, right? Like, he's it's, it's not like the most flashy signing. It's more of a defensive signing. So, it's, it's not like we have a ton, but... I think for today, like, I want to, we still have some work to do in terms of the Leafs, in terms of getting out of the cap, but I, I guess first and foremost, like, this this is a signing that kind of, I would say a little bit caught me off guard, because you didn't expect them to, I, at least I didn't really, really expect them to add a another player. It looks like he's got a decent chance to make the team. Is, is that where you're at? Like, you think he's, I guess, what's the first question? What's the percentage chance that he makes the Leafs? Well, I, I don't think, like, I think he's a good player. And if he doesn't make the team, I don't think it's going to be because of his own his own doing or, or his value. Like I think he's a really good player. I think there's definitely a spot for him on this team. Um, just looking at his defensive metrics, and I'll answer your question in a second. I want to get into him a little bit here. Like like he's a good defensive player. He can penalty kill. It looks like he was just made to play with David Camp. Um, just looking at his. Ozone starts over the past couple of years. We have 37%, 33%, 33%, 28%, always under 40%. Um, I could see him playing right next to David Camp. I really like it. I think that he's, you know, he's got that physicality. He can fight. Um, he can play those tough minutes as well when the Leafs are in the lead. So I definitely think there's a spot for him on the team. But yeah, it did catch me from by surprise uh, because obviously the Leafs are in a bit of a cap crunch, I would say. So you definitely didn't expect them to add a PTO that, you know, maybe like a like a Nikita Gusev type that had an outside chance. But I think Zach Aston Reese probably is better than most of their depth guys that they have right now in terms of, you know, like your Joey Andersons and your Dennis Maligans. Like I think Zach Aston Reese has a way better shot of making the team. But in terms of his percentage of making the team, I'll say 55 to 60%, I think... They still need to do some stuff, like you said, in terms of creating space for him. But uh, I think he's a good player. Yeah, so Aston Reese is a guy that he's been on Pittsburgh for the most of his career. He's kind of been a fourth liner on Pittsburgh. And then he, he got traded to Anaheim around the deadline last year. So I'm sure he's a player who, you know, while people have heard the name, maybe they don't really have too many memories of Aston Reese. Like that's kind of his game is that he's not that memorable. He plays boring hockey. There's not many goals scored either way when he's on the ice. But it's interesting that you, that you compared him, like that you mentioned Gusev because it's almost the exact opposite of Gusev, right? right. With, with Gusev, you had a ton of offensive upside, like power play potential. You had, you know, if, if he played with some skilled forwards, he's, he's not going to do well defensively, but he's going to rack up points. Asad Reese seems like the exact opposite, where, like, watching him play, I don't see a lot of offensive upside. Uh, he is very, very a dump-and-chase type. Like, there's not a lot of creativity there in terms of playmaking, in terms of puck carrying. Uh, it, it's a very basic offensive skill set. But the defensive metrics, as you mentioned, are are through the roof. And even if he's not as good as the metrics say... I still think he's at least above average defensively. He's going to provide some sort of value. You mentioned David Camp. I think it would be easy to see them on a line together just based on how often they start in the defensive zone, both of them. Um, and then I guess in terms of, I, I know you said 55 to 60. I'll say a little bit higher. I think he's got about a 70% chance. I do think that he's he's going to have to play fairly well in preseason. Like if he, if he is just invisible, maybe he doesn't make the team. Uh, I don't know how much Sheldon Keefe's going to be backing on those, you know, defensive metrics that he's seen. I think they'll they'll probably want to get a look at him and, and see how he's playing. But uh, an interesting player nonetheless, right? Like, he's a guy that hits. He's a guy that can stand up for teammates. Um, he's someone who can 
take defensive zone starts and play boring hockey. Uh, I guess I guess the the preceding like the follow up question here, Nick, would be okay. Do you see like what do you what do you see happening with a Wayne Simmons? Do you see a spot for Simmons, or do you think this is the player that's going to kind of take on that role and and kick Simmons out of a job? Well, I thought when they signed Abe Kubel, like I think we had this exact same question about Simmons, where I was like, "What is Simmons' role on this team? Is he going to be an everyday NHLer this year on this team?" And I think the answer should be no. Um, I think there's still value of him being in the organization, um, but I definitely think he should not be. He's not. He's not one of the best twelve players on the Leafs. This was the case even last year in the playoffs. Um, from games three to seven, like he wasn't in the lineup. It was Spezza and Kasha who were playing the wings on the fourth line. So um, I think the Leafs have done a pretty pretty good job of of getting some fourth line options this year in, in Abe Kubel and potentially Zach Aston-Reese that I don't think Simmons or Clifford are even, maybe even like the best 13 or 14 forwards on this team right now. So uh, I think Simmons will get in if there's injuries. But other than that, I don't think he should be in the lineup. So I'm going to throw some numbers at you, um, some numbers that I tweeted out. So over the last three seasons at 5-on-5, five five, Aston Reese and Wayne Simmons are basically identical offensively. So games played, 178 versus 171. Uh, their goals per 60 is off by 0.02. Primary assist, about the same. Primary points, about the same. Secondary assist, about the same. Shots per minute, about the same. Shooting percentage, about the same. Aston Reese actually hits a little bit more than Simmons, perhaps because he's a little bit faster. He probably gets to the, the puck a little bit quicker and, and has a little bit more opportunities to hit. But they're very, very similar. Almost, it's, it'd be hard to find two players that are as similar offensively than those two. And that's not necessarily a compliment of Aston Reese. I know Simmons, because of his days back with the Flyers, still has a bit of a, you know, an, an off offensive reputation from back then that, that's maybe he's not really the same player he once was but I think defensively is really where you're going to see the biggest difference right so Acid Reese if you look at just his his RAPM charts in terms of expected goals very strong uh, some years it's good some years he's basically elite by the metrics uh, even if he's just good I think that's an upgrade over Simmons right because Simmons is probably average at best defensively I would say maybe even below average. And even if you're someone who doesn't really care about the more some of the more advanced stats or, or things like RAPM, like if you just look at goals against, uh, I, I looked on Evolving Hockey and their database goes back to 2007, 2008. And I just put in, okay, who's played at least 2,000 minutes at 5 on 5, right? And there are about 1,200 players in the NHL that have played that many minutes since then. And no one has been on the ice for less goals against the National Reese at any point forward or defense right so there is luck involved there like he probably has played you know he's played a little bit more against fourth other other fourth lines than someone like Patrice Bergeron he's probably taking on top competition he hasn't played as many minutes as someone like Bergeron he's probably getting a little bit of luck in terms of goalie play like when he's on the ice he's probably getting more highlight reel saves than you know Morazicals from last year but ultimately like he does have a role and that's what i like about him like i feel like nick ritchie for example last year we didn't really have a role for him right like he didn't work out in the top six and then okay he's too slow to play in the checking line and you know you don't really want a two and a half million dollar player on your fourth line that isn't a great skater playing next to spezza right so it was a bit of a you couldn't really see a, a, a role for him whereas acid reese it's pretty easy to kind of see a role for him where he's you know, providing some physicality, fighting when needed, but then also taking defensive zone starts, perhaps with camp, and then just playing zero minutes, right? Like, his, it was interesting, his, mo the player he matched up against the most last year was actually Austin Matthews. So, he is someone who can take on tough competitions. He, he, he played with uh, Bluger in, in Pittsburgh. I could see, as you mentioned, I could, it's, it's easy to see him next to David Camp. Yeah, I think, you know, the first step is always checking the stats. And I think it's almost a, a bit of a compliment that the offensive stats between Simmons and Zach Aston-Reese are pretty similar. Um, and that's mostly because of the context. And you look at the way Simmons has played and the way that he's been deployed over the last couple of years, 
like like you said, like he has not been seeing top competition and he hasn't been starting in the defensive zone as much as Zach Aston Reese. So I think the fact that their offensive stats are so similar, I think that is a good thing. Um, mm-hmm. But like you said, Bluger, he's played with Jamie McGinn. This is Zach Aston Reese with Anaheim. I'm just pulling it up here. Like Drew O'Connor, Adam Henrique. So like not the best teammates. Um, and then you look at Simmons. I mean, he's played with Spezza, who had that great five-on-five season. Um, and then kind of the other fourth liners. And the Leafs have had a pretty decent fourth line over the last two, three years. So I do think those things are good for Aston Reese. Like you said, on ice save percentage has been very, very high. But, I mean, he's also been over 50% in terms of goals, um, the goal differential at 5-on-5 and expected goals at 5-on-5. So given his deployment, I think those are great things. I think Mm -hmm. it's a good thing that he's a good penalty killer because, you know, the Leafs want to have a good penalty kill just like they did last year. So I like the sign. Actually, I should say I like the PTO. Um, I hope that they can figure it out and kind of get him into the lineup because the camp line, I think, worked last year. I think Camp was a good, yeah, like he was a good player. They're going to have him for one more year. So I like that they're doubling down on this kind of defensive line um, in their bottom six. And we're going to talk about line combinations later, but you and I have been talking about it for at least two years since Keith started doing this. And especially when Camp joined the team, that we want that Camp line to look more like a fourth line and the third line to be more of a kind of a scoring line. And I, I think the Leafs have an opportunity to do that here with the signings of Abe Cabell and Zach Aston Reese. So we'll talk about the lines later. But yeah, all in all, I, I think this is a good PTO. Yeah, I think a, a couple of things based on what you mentioned there. Like Henrique's a pretty good player. I know you mentioned to play with him, but I, I think to your point, like the, he only played 17 games in Anaheim last year, right? So he, Henrique was not the norm. Um you know, Bluger, and they, they're a pretty good shutdown pair, like, not pair, sorry, line, where, you know, you could put out Aston Reese, Camp, and say, Aubrey Cabell against tough competition, feel okay about it, and then give either Matthews or Tavares an extra shift against easier competition, right? So, it is interesting how the team has, has kind of evolved, like, for years, especially pre-Matthews era, but even the first few years of the Matthews era, you look at the defense, right? And I think you could point to, like, the Ron Hainsey, Nikita Zaitsev days, the Roman Polak days, uh, the Tyson Berry days, and the Leafs were never all that strong by the metrics defensively. And then even at forward, like, when you had Tyler Bozak and James Van Riemsdyk and, you know, Matthews Marner were, were good players, but, but young players, right? But now I'm looking at the Leafs and... You know, last year, and just in terms of five-on-five five expected goals per minute, they were fourth in the NHL, fourth best, which was just a huge difference from last year, or from previous years. And their defense, you know, they still might have a move. It might be Justin Hollow. We'll see about that. But at this point, you have Muzzin, you have Brody, you have Giordano, um, you have Morgan Riley, even though he's not always grading out well defensively. You have a pair of, of really good young defensemen. And then I look at the forwards, and, like, obviously Matthews is coming off a strong defensive year. Marner's a strong defensive forward. But, like, just looking at the impacts of Aston Reese and Obey Cabell, even Kelly Yarncroke, like, this team continues to get better defensively. It's going to be really interesting to see just how good they are. Like, are they going to be even better than fourth? And, you know, for a team that does have some questions at goaltending with Matt Murray and, and Ilya Simsonov, it, it's going to be – it's it's kind of an interesting – tactic where you're really focused on improving the defense as much as possible and making life easier for your goaltenders and it actually seems I actually feel like Colorado's kind of doing a similar strategy and even Carolina uh, the previous year where you know they do take on some risk at goaltending with like a Georgiev in, in Colorado or Anderson coming off a bad season but the defense is so strong in front of them that you know, it does help their save percentage. They are getting a little, a few more extra shots that are on the easier end rather than, you know, breakaways or, or odd man rushes. So it's just something interesting to watch for. But I, I guess the next question, Nick, is is the secondary scoring, right? Because for, for all we've talked about Aston Reese, all the positives we see in terms of defensive metrics, he is a little bit bland offensively. And, you know, he has had some years, I see a couple of years here, like eight goals in 43 games, nine goals in 45 games. 
you know, if he played the full season, he's probably up to 15 goals. So he hasn't always been a zero offensively. I think he's, you know, he can chip in the odd goal, but it, it's not a ton. And you look at the Leafs offseason, losing Ilya Mikhaev to the Vancouver, Colin Blackwell to Chicago, Andre Kasha went to Carolina, Jason Spezza to the Leafs front office. <laughs> you do start to wonder about secondary scoring, right? Um how big of a concern is that for you? And do you think, as a result, that we're going to see Kerfoot stay and, and not get traded? Are you expecting Kerfoot to stay at this point? Yeah, I think every day that passes, the chances of Kerfoot staying goes up, um, especially as we get closer to training camp. Uh, to answer your first question, you know, it, it's interesting because when you look at the last year, the Leafs got virtually a very low amount of offense from their offensively deployed fourth line that usually had Simmons, Spezza, um, etc. Like the year before that, they got a ton of offense from that line. But last year, it wasn't very effective. So most of their secondary scoring was coming from that shutdown line, which obviously McKayev had a great season. Engvall was great. But it was the line that actually had Kempf on it, which... I don't think you or I really expected that coming into the season. We just expected that line to kind of shut down top lines and kind of go like no goals scored, no goals against. But they definitely scored more than I expected them to. So I think this year the goal is if you have Zach Aston Reese and Keith and I was going to say Keith and Camp um, on a line together, I don't think you're expecting too much offense. But I think the goal is to try and get that that new other line to have to be pretty good. Like if you could get like Kerfoot, Engvall and Robertson, like something like that, then I do expect there to be some decent depth scoring, definitely more than that Spezza Simmons line of last year. So I think depth scoring is definitely one of the larger concerns. Um, I do think that we talk, not you and I, but just in general, I think, just Leafs fans, we talk a lot about the lack of depth scoring that happened in the Tampa series, but I'll push back a little bit. Like, Camp got, I think, one or two goals. Uh, Mikheyev and Engvall were pretty good early in the season, early in the series. Um, I don't really think depth scoring was a huge issue in the Tampa series. I think they just lost by a goal or two. Uh, I thought it was just a close series. So, I don't know. I, I think depth scoring, I, I, I think it's probably a concern, but I think the biggest concern going into the season is getting that Tavares line going, because I think that's where they missed a lot of offense, especially in the second half of the season last year. Yeah, I would say, obviously, goaltending is probably the biggest concern, but I think you could say that for every team, like, just because it's such an important position. I do think, as you said, the Tavares, getting the Tavares line going will be huge, Um, just because you have such a powerhouse line with the Matthews line, followed by you know, you do count on camp to play good shutdown minutes and take defensive zone starts. So I think you have two lines that were quite successful last year. I do think that Mikhaev's going to be tough to replace, just his speed, his ability to create chances out of nothing. But I, I do think that those two two lines should be should be pretty good. I think certainly you need to find the right winger for Tavares and Nylander, uh, whether that's Kelly Yarncroke, whether that's you go back to Alex Kerfoot or, or maybe Nick Robertson grows into the role. Or maybe someone unexpected from the bottom six jumps up and earns that spot. But uh, in terms, I, I do think that the the shutdown pair, the shutdown line, sorry, the Mikhaev, Engvall, and, and Camp was quite good in the playoffs. Um, I know Mikhaev spent a lot of time on Tavares's wing, actually. But those three in general were, were, were quite strong in the playoffs just defensively, right? Um, Kasha didn't really do much in the playoffs. But yeah, I think there's a big goal from Blackwell at one point. But I would like to see just a little bit more offense. I don't know if that's going to come from, maybe it doesn't come initially, and maybe like midway through the season, you see Robertson take a jump. You take maybe Nick Abruzzese looks really good in the AHL, or Alex Steves looks really good, or maybe even like Matthew Nyes at the end of the year looks really good. I don't think they could they should count on that. But uh, if they do move Kerfoot, I think all of a sudden you you need to add another forward because. For all the criticism of Kerfoot, I mean, we can nitpick his game. We can say, you know, maybe they they should have traded him at some point. He is a fairly good player. Like, he, he is a, at least I'd say a 40-point forward. He's okay defensively. He can play center. Uh, I do like having him around because of the 
flexibility he provides. Like he can, he could be a, the fourth center. He could be uh, a winger for camp. He could, he could be on the the wing on the fourth line. He could be on the wing on the second line. He can kill penalties. He can kind of play on the power play. So that's why I'm thinking Kerfoot staying at this point. I'm expecting Hall to get traded, and I'm I'm also expecting like a a, a one year deal for Rasmus Sandin. That's my guess on the rest of the off season. Uh, we've seen, we've seen Sean Dursey sign a two year deal this week. We've seen Mikey Anderson sign for one by one. Uh, at this point, I'm almost expecting Sandin to sign within the next few days before the preseason starts on Saturday. Um, just because there's not a I don't think they're they're negotiating over much money, right? Like, how much can Sandine possibly be asking for? It can't be more than Dursey, I don't think. So, you know, maybe the Leafs are offering one point four, and he wants one point seven. I think it's they're probably off by like a hundred grand or maybe two hundred grand. Uh, maybe it's a one year deal versus a two year deal, but I am expecting that one to come in, and, and then I think Hall is going to be the odd man out. That's my guess. Yeah, I should have a pretty similar. I'm not sure about Sandine signing in the next few days. I mean, just based on history, we've seen um, with Neander, the agent. yeah, with the agent, kind of it, it kind of drag on. So I wouldn't be so, so surprised. The biggest difference here between Neander and Sandine is Neander had a ton of leverage. I mean, he just had two sixty-point seasons uh, on his entry-level contract. Where Sandine, I mean, his friend Timothy Lilligren just signed a a deal for one point four. As you said, the Dursey and Mikey Anderson contracts don't really help him out much. So I don't know. Like to me, I think you obviously hope that it's done sooner rather than later. But in terms of your prediction, I actually agree. I do think Kerfoot's going to stay. I think Hall is is that odd man out. So on that assumption, let's say that does happen. Let's say Sandine signs a one-year deal. Hall Mm -hmm. gets traded. They keep Kerfoot. And they sign uh, Zach Aston-Reese. One thing that I've seen throughout the summer, and I've tried to take a step back from kind of Leafs, the Leafs world during the summer, and then just to give myself a break. But one thing I keep hearing is, is are the Leafs better than they were last year? And I'm not even going to waste time kind of comparing this team coming into the preseason with the playoffs because they're two different things. One, obviously, the, after the playoffs... After the trade deadline, sorry, all the playoff teams start to ramp up. There's no salary cap in the playoffs, and that's why you see teams like Colorado, Tampa, Leafs, Carolina usually lose players in the offseason because they need to get under the cap for the beginning of the season. So, But let's compare this team, Kevin, to the team that started last year. And this is a team that had Simmons on the roster, on the starting lineup, Nick Ritchie was on the starting lineup, Dermott. Still a good team. I mean, they were a 115-point team last year. Do you think that this roster, given the assumptions that we are, we are, I guess, assuming, do you think that they're better than the team that they started with last year? Uh, that's an interesting question. I think it's fairly close, uh, but it's, it's tough because... You know, at the start of last year, we didn't really know what David Camp was going to be, right? Like, we thought he was more of, like, a iffy fourth-line center than a guy that looked pretty good in the, as a third-line center last year. Um, we didn't know if Timothy Lilligren was going to make the jump to the NHL or if he was going to spend the full year in the NHL. And he ended up having a really good season. So, I think there are enough positives this year where you look at the roster and, and you're a little bit more... Uh, Michael Bunting would have been the big one, right? Like, we had no idea Michael Bunting was going to be that good. Um, so I do think there's a lot of, of positives and we'll, we'll probably see some surprises again this year. Um, you know, who knows? Like maybe we're sitting here a few months from now and Alex Steves is like a, on pace for 40 points. Like we have no idea, right? Someone, I, I'm sure we'll see a surprise or two, whether it's Robertson or Steves or, uh, Abruzzese. Um, someone's, pro- someone's gonna, Abbe Cabell, maybe Ilya Samsonov has a great year at breaks out. Um, so I think there's a lot of, a, a lot of just mystery around, okay, with all these new guys, because they are, I'll, I'll call it bargain shopping, like a lot of guys under 2 million or 2 million or less, uh, there are, there's a lot of uncertainty in terms of, okay, how good is, how much is this player going to produce? What's his role going to be? You know, even in Abe Cabell, who I've, I've actually been watching a little bit, 
um, just some some old games, trying to get a sense of his game. I think he's going to be a good player for them. I think he's going to be a really good bottom six forward. Like he, he's he's really I, I, he looks responsible defensively. Brings a lot of energy. He wins a lot of fifty fifty battles. He actually has like a little bit of offensive talent. I think he's like better offensively than Aston Reese, for example. Uh, so I, I do think it's fairly similar. Obviously, there's so much focus going to be on the goaltending just because of the route they took with Murray and, and Samsonov. But you look at their numbers last year, especially at even strength, and you know Campbell didn't have great numbers, and Mrazek was you know pretty much terrible. So last year they they did overcome bad goaltending quite a lot. Uh, what I do think is interesting this year, Nick, is the Eastern Conference is just so much deeper right? Like a lot of the bottom teams in the East have gotten better. Like Columbus had a Goudreau. Uh, I know the Devils made some additions as well. And they're just a young team that they're a young team that you expect growth from a Jack Hughes from uh, an Alexander Holtz, for example. I think they're going to take a step forward. I think Ottawa's certainly gotten better. Um, So it it just seems like it's going to be a lot more even in the Eastern Conference where you know, last year the Leafs could overcome bad goaltending against a team like Columbus because they were so much better than them that one goal that always swing things. But I think this year is going to be a little bit more pressure on the goaltending because the, I, I do expect a much more tighter playoff race. So I think the Leafs are fit similar to last year, but I do think that they might lose some points in the standings just because the East is stronger this year. I think it's pretty close to a 50-50 coin flip in terms of whether they're better this year. And that's even knowing what you know I know about bunting season last year and David Camp last year. I think just knowing what we know, I think it's still pretty close to a 50-50 flip. Um, and I think that's pretty good. I think if if knowing that you're probably going to lose Mikhaev, you're probably going to lose Campbell, I think coming into the season and, and being pretty unsure about whether the team's better or worse. I think that's pretty decent success for the uh, for the for the management of the Leafs, but I do think that teams like Ottawa will take that step up. I mean, they have to given the the offseason they've had. They've had a pretty good one. But I also think that teams like Florida that I think they had 118 points last year, but just a mm-hmm. ton of points. Um I think they're going to drop off. I think Tampa probably got a, a bit worse than last year. Um, and then, so, you know, the Leafs had, sorry, Florida had 122 points. So the Leafs had 115, maybe they finish with, you know, a little bit less than that, but I also don't know if they really need 115 to win the division this year. Like, I don't really think any team will be above 115. So I think that there will be tighter playoff races. Um, but you know, if the Leafs lose a few points, then I, I still think they're going to be like the top or the, or at worst, the second best team um, in the Atlantic this year, if they can, you know, kind of hover around that 115 mark. I'm interested to see just the better defensive team. Like they were very good defensively last year, but a full year Giordano, if a guy like Acid Reese could come in and, and basically be the winger version of David Camp, like that would really help defensively. Obviously you did lose some solid defensive players like Mikhaev, but uh, it does look like the potential for this team defensively through the roof, especially if Muzzin has a bounce back season. Uh, like he's a huge part of this, right? Like he's such an X factor because we've seen him be, you know, a borderline team candidate defenseman at times during his his time with the Leafs, and then we've seen him, especially at the start of last year, like barely look like he was a playable top four guy, right? So, mm-hmm. uh, I, and I could see some growth from Lilligren. You could see Sam growth from Sandine. Uh, it's going to be a, a big question in terms of who steps up and who has a big year, but defensively this team looks really good. And then, so you already have Giordano uh, versus last year. You got him at the deadline. I'm assuming they'll make another, some sort of big splash at the deadline that, that makes this year's team just as good, if not a little bit better than last year. But uh, goaltending obviously is, is going to be huge. And, and obviously health is huge as well. Uh, and just in terms of, in terms of forward lines, I want to get your prediction for game one. Um, so the preseason starts on Saturday and we should get an idea of what Sheldon keeps thinking. Preseason lines don't always equal regular season lines, but we can at least see what he's experimenting with and we might have a better sense. But I guess if just right now, before any preseason or practice starts, what's your guess on the forward lines 
I'm assuming you have Matthews, Bunting, Marner as line one. Who yes. is your Who is your guess to start on to start with Tavares? Um, yeah. So as, in terms of a prediction, I'll put Cali Yarncrow, Tavares, Nylander. The third line, I'll say. Hold on. I'll say Nick just Lob. in terms of that. Just in terms of Yarncroke there, I agree. I think that's a smart decision uh, for a couple of reasons. One, he's going to start. Like he's a good defensive player who kind of complements them well. He could finish his chances, and I think you don't really want to put a Robertson or an Engvall there based on like you're gonna to have to pay them soon. Like Robertson as an RFA or uh, Engvall as a UFA. I think I think you give Yarncroke the first chance because he's got four years here, right? Like if he racks up some points because he's playing with good line mates, like. You're fine with that. You're not going to give him a raise anytime soon. So I think he gets the first shot. Uh, that's my guess as well. Yeah, they usually put new players in a in a chance to succeed, like in a spot to succeed. So I think Yarncrow just is overall. I think the contract kind of has something to do with it, but I think mostly it's just the way he plays. I think they need a puck retriever on that line uh, that mm-hmm. can skate a little bit. So Yarncrow, I think, fits that bill pretty good. Like you said, he can finish. He's good defensively. Um, so I, I think it makes sense that they would try him there first. Um, yeah. Third line, I'm going to go with... I'm going to say Robertson probably makes the team. Um, so we're going... I think the third line and fourth line, assuming they're keeping Kerfoot, they'll probably be fairly similar if Kerfoot's yeah. the center, if that's your guess. So yeah. I guess we'll and call then, it offensive bottom six line and defensive bottom six line. Yeah, yeah. That, that's the goal is that they're pretty evenly even in terms of just value but uh yeah robertson kerfoot and i'm gonna say engvall on the right side okay. and then um fourth line is going to be abe cabell camp and zach Aston reese on the left side yeah that's a cool line i i like that lineup i'm not sure about i think robertson's gonna have to earn that spot so yeah there's he's, lots he's of competition definitely the iffy there, right? one He's definitely the iffy one. Like I've, I've, we'll talk about the prospects tournament a little later. Um, mm-hmm. I think he makes the team like just because I don't know. To me, like with Robertson, I, I think he, I think he's a great player. I think a lot of fans are kind of in a rush to put him into the lineup, um, just because he's been with. I mean, they drafted him only what two two years ago, three years ago, and right away he was in that playoff. Yeah, right away he was in that playoff lineup. So I think we forget, like, he's only 21. Like, he's still very young. Um, yes, he played well in the AHL. He was a good goal scorer. But, like, he was always going to be a good goal scorer. Like, I think he still has other parts of his game that he can improve, especially defensively, especially in transition. So I don't know. To me, like, I'm not personally in a huge rush. This is more of a prediction, not my personal lineup. But I think he's a fantastic player, and I think he's going to be a great player for the Leafs. Um, but yeah, so I, I do think he'll probably make the team just because it sounds like they want him to. Um, so yeah, I'll say Robertson, Kerfoot, Engvall, and then that fourth line. I think, I think they're really just going to double down on that camp line this year. Like Abe Cabell, a player that I actually think is, is quite good. I think he's had that history of having those defensive zone starts. He's done well in that position. He's, he's produced a a pretty respectable amount of offense given his deployment. Um, and then Zach Aston Reese, just the obvious player to play next to camp. So uh, let's get your forward lines and then we'll go to the D lines. Yeah, pretty similar to yours. I think they're going to continue bunting Matthews Marner just because it had so much success last year. And we didn't really see them ever sway away from that other than when bunting was kind of playing through an injury um, at the end of the year. Uh, so that's I think that one's almost a lock is my guess. Uh, I think I agree with, with Yarncroke on line two. Uh, I could see Kerfoot going there, assuming he's on the team, but I feel like we've seen that. Like, let's let's start with something new. We can always go back to Kerfoot, Tavares, Nylander if you need to. Uh, as you said, like, Yarncroke's skill set, I think, could could potentially fit well there, where you get in on the four check, you can kind of cover for them defensively. Um, he could finish his chances. He's got a pretty good shot if, if a guy like Nylander comes in and sets him up. Um, and then if he does, you're assuming that whoever plays there is going to rack up some points at the start of the year. So might as well make it the guy with some term on his contract rather than, you know, just inflating someone's numbers in a contract year. Uh, I don't know if, I doubt Yarncroke's there the whole season. I'm sure they'll mix it up. I don't know if he's 
going to really win that job or if he'll, he'll end up looking better on the third line. But he is a player who can kind of go anywhere. But I'm on the same page as you as, as him starting there. Um, in terms of the third, like I, I do think it's going to be a, more of a 3A, 3B. Uh, with David Camp, I really liked your line there with, with Aston Reese and Obi Cabell. Uh, it's interesting because, I mean, you could separate them. Like, you could put Aston Reese on a, on a different line. But they're both so used to taking on defensive zone starts. And you only have so many defensive zone starts to go around. That's kind of where they're both best suited. That's why I like them together. Um, though if you did separate them, you'd, you'd probably have two really good defensive bottom six lines. I just It's, it's going to be interesting. I'm kind of curious to see if they you know continue to put Engvall there. Because Engvall did play well with uh, David Camp last year. But I, I did really like that line you, you proposed. And then in terms of the fourth line, I do th- I, I liked what you did there with Kerfoot in the middle. Obviously, Kerfoot and, and Yarncroke are kind of interchangeable, but I do like having Kerfoot in the bottom six just because I think they could use some playmaking and they could use a little bit of uh, transition skill, and I think that's Kerfoot's skill set. So I think the bottom six is kind of lacking that, and I think Kerfoot could really help there. Uh, I'd try him at center. I'd put... Uh, who, oh, Engvall. I like Engvall there just because he has a little bit of... Uh, I mean, you know, he he really produced offensively. He's a good play driver as well. Uh, I could also see them putting Obey Cabell there because he's got a little bit of offensive skill as well, keeping Engvall with with Camp. But I think I think your lines are, are great. I think that's uh, about what I would do. In terms of Robertson, I do think he's going to have to earn the job. Like, there's him. There's Joey Anderson who would need waivers. Uh, I think he's got a real shot at least to start the season. Um, there's Adam Gadet, who, I mean, Gadet has terrible, looks terrible by the numbers. He also didn't score in like his last like 25 games last year. I think he's destined for the Marlies, but you know, I know there's that whole thing about him struggling to put on weight. Maybe he's in great shape. Maybe he looks better on the wing. He does have quite a bit of offensive skill. I mean, I think that's a, that's the ultimate, like you don't expect anything, but if he has a big preseason, maybe he wins that job. Uh, I'd be surprised if it was Melgan, even if he has a good camp i just keith did not seem to like him during his time there um <laughs> alex steves would be a possibility maybe we even see a pto or something that that someone challenges but i do think i don't really see why like where simmons or clifford would fit in assuming ashton reese and obi cabal are on the team uh, so i am hoping for someone with a little bit of offensive skill to, to pair with kerfoot just because that camp line is going to be a bit iffy offensively yeah i think our line combinations are probably the safest guesses. I, I think with this current roster group, especially if they keep Kerfoot, you can kind of get pretty you get pretty creative with the lines. Like if, if you don't if you want to split up Tavares Nylander, like you could always go back to, to Kerfoot, Nylander, Engval, like something like that. And then Tavares, Yarncrow, and who am I missing here? Like an Abe Cabal or, or something like that. I think they can get pretty creative if they keep Kerfoot and Yarncrow in this lineup this year so um but I think you know you're not going to see I don't think you're going to see Tavares Nylander split up on game one I think you're probably going to see a pretty safe lineup so um let's move to yeah yeah, let's move to the defense because I think you've got just just one thing on Robinson first yeah I know just in terms of prospect tournament like he hasn't really he hasn't been great um you know he's a player who Obviously, his shot is kind of his focal point, right? Like, he's got a great work ethic. He's got a great motor, if you will. And then a great shot. Um, he does He does look like one of the more skilled players out there. But in terms of play driving perspective, I do think he's going to be a bit weak defensively just because he doesn't cover a ton of ground. Like, he's kind of the opposite of Makai of Engvall, who are huge guys that skate well. And they're just, they're just on top of you 24-7. I feel like the other team does have a fair amount of space to move the puck when Robertson's on the ice. Um, so I'm almost expecting, like, it, it's funny because when they signed Aston Reese, it kind of reminded me of, like, late Leafs career Leo Komarov, who had, like, under 20 points but was still strong defensively. I could see Aston Reese kind of being, like, a Komarov type. Hopefully there's a little bit more upside there, but that's that's kind of my expectation. And then Robertson, you know, that year, I think it was Andreas Janssen who came up and ended up taking a spot from Komarov. And I could kind of see something similar to Robertson, where he starts with the Marlies, he racks up a ton of points, and then he is more of an offensive player. But I could see him being in a bottom six line, 
where he's racking up points. I think that's a little bit of a safer bet than him going to uh, a top six line, especially with Tavares Nylander, who you know could use help defensively. Um, I would it. I would. It's kind of similar to like a Lilligren or a Sandine starting off on the third pair. Uh, I don't think it's top six or bust for Robertson. I do think you get him on an offensive fourth line, and he kind of earns his minutes that way. Yeah, I don't see him playing next to Tavares Nylander. I think having that Kerfoot offensive line definitely opens up the possibility of Robertson being on the team. Mm-hmm. Um, a lot more than last year. Like, like I, I just couldn't see like a Robertson with, with Spezza line. Like, it just that plays, like, what, five, six, seven five-on-five minutes a, a night. Like, it just doesn't really make much sense. But I think it makes more sense having a, a useful offensive bottom six line now um, for guys like Robertson, Steves, Anderson, etc. So, yeah, we'll see. We'll, we'll talk about the prospects tournament a little later. Like, let's get into the defense because I know this, to me, is easily their best six or seven that they've had since, I mean, since Matthews was on the team pretty much. Um I'm pretty excited for this. I do have one major question mark here. Uh, I do want to just get your thoughts overall on the defense because, I mean, Giordano at 800K kind of just makes this whole defense click. Um, and it's it's quite a luxury, actually, to have him at, at 800K. So what do, you, what do you think about the defense? Yeah, just the question is going to be, like, I'm assuming they're trading Justin Hall. Um it, it, it is interesting because, you know, last year they protected Hall over Kerfoot in the expansion draft. But it just seems like if you just kind of read between the lines with the, you know, the rumors, it sounds like they try to trade or they look to trade Hall during the season. That was one point last year. Hall was a scratch for game one of the playoffs. Uh, and then you just look at the fact that Hall is probably not going to be in the top six versus Kerfoot will be in the top 12 forwards. Uh, my guess is that, that Hall is getting traded, and then you kind of look at the defense and you go, okay, well, assuming Sandine signs, you're going to have four lefties that don't play the right side, well, at least don't haven't played it much. Um, and then you're going to have just, I mean, even Brody's a left-hand shot. Um, so you're just going to have a little grit on the right side. It's going to be kind of interesting to see who moves over. That, I have no idea. Like To me, Morgan Riley would be a good fit just because you know, he's not really a shutdown defenseman anyways. He's a pretty good skater. Um, I know a lot of people like to have the defensive defenseman on the on their offside rather than the offensive, but uh, I do think the talent's certainly there, right? Like, you just look at the names, like, especially if Jake Muzzin bounces back, to have a Muzzin-Brody, you know, as your two shutdown defensemen, whether they're playing together or not, um, is it, kind of irrelevant. They're going to be strong defensively. You have Giordano, who's, you know, a veteran player who had wicked results last year. Uh, with the Leafs, you're gonna have Lilligren, who I thought was phenomenal last year, and like I I have watched a couple games this summer, like just and he always stands out. Like I think he's in for a big year. I think he could potentially solidify himself as a top four defenseman with his skating, and uh, he's not the smallest guy either, right? He's got more size and strength than a Sandine. Um, and then you know Sandine's a guy with a lot of potential. If he signs, and has a big year. Like look out, right? So it's certainly a good defense. Um, if Sandine Lilligren take a, big, a step forward, if, if Muzzin has a bounce back season, I think you could have a great defense, like arguably best of the NHL. I do think there's that much potential. The right side thing's weird though, right? Like who do you think it's going to be? Like Giordano's barely played the right side in his career. Riley's barely played the right side. Sandine's barely played the right side. Uh, that's really just the, the lone remaining question is who plays with who and can that one defenseman, whoever it is, look good on the right side? I think I, I'm. I want to say I'm at least sixty to seventy percent sure that Riley Muzzin Giordano is going to stay on the left side. Um, I you think it'll be I, Sandine I, on the right. I think Sandine Brody and Lilligren are going to be on the right side. Like I would be if I had to rank them. Like I think Riley and Muzzin, I do not see them moving over to the right side. Um, Riley, I think just. His ability to to get the puck and transport it up the ice, like I, I think you need Riley on that left side. You need to have his ability to make passes and and be comfortable moving the puck up um, and jump up into play. Like you need him on that left side. I do see why why there could be an idea of him going to the right, but um, I mean at the end of the day, that's their that's their number one defenseman the way he's deployed. So I think they're going to keep him on the left. 
Um, Muzzin has never really moved to the right side. Giordano, maybe, but even so, like, I think he stays on the left. I think Sandin, you, you just see how good he is on his backhand. We've seen him on his on the right side with the Leafs and with uh, the Marlies, so I think he's much more likely to go on the right side on that third pairing. And then Brody, obviously, we, we've seen him on the right side and the Lagrin. So I think my major question is, who plays with Morgan Riley? Because we saw Muzzin last year struggle, and pretty much the only time he wasn't struggling was when he was paired with TJ Brody. And then, obviously, in the playoffs, the Leafs had Ilya Labushkin to play next to Morgan Riley. You kind of need that defensive presence to play with Riley, just uh, just due to his, you know, his, his defense, his lack of defensive play, and, and just how much he jumps up on the ice. You need someone who kind of can stay at home. And Brody was fantastic with Riley. Labushkin was okay with Riley. Um, so my lines right now, what I think they should start with, anyways, I think they should put uh, Riley with Brody on that top pairing. Uh, we've seen Muzzin Lilligren before; it's been pretty good. Uh, so I would probably have that as your second line, and then Giordano Sandine as your third pairing, uh, at least to start. You know, I think they. I've seen some people have lines of Riley Lilligren. I just don't see it at this point. I think Lilligren's a great defender in terms of defending the blue line, defending the tra- in transition, but. Um, I don't think he's the right player at this point to play next to Riley. So I would rather just see Riley and Brody have that a strong pairing and then have Muzzin Lilligren on that second pairing. Like, do you, do you see Riley and Lilligren like being that top pairing or, or just not say, let's not say even top pairing, but just the player to play next to Riley. Do you see it being Timothy Lilligren? Um, if Justin Hall stays, we've, I don't think we've seen more than maybe, 50 minutes over the years at five on five of Riley and Hall playing together. Like Keith never puts them together. Um, so I think right now it makes sense to put Brody back with Riley, but I just wish that we could clone TJ Brody somehow. I think life would be a lot easier. Yeah. So I guess in terms of Hall, yeah, Keith's never played him with Riley. And I just, I'm, I'm assuming the trade is going to happen. And even if Hall's here, like you have to play the other six. Like, Sandine needs to play. Um, so I think Hall would be in the press box most nights where you can't really have him on a set pair. Um, that'd be my guess. In, in terms of who plays the right side, I'm less confident it's going to be Sandine. Uh, I do think you have to have multiple options uh, ready. Like, I would play Riley and Sandine, assuming Sandine signs, a little bit on the right side in preseason uh, just so they get a little bit of, of practice with it. Or Giordano, even, whatever your plan is. I'd have at least two guys ready to go. Uh, Sandine only played a couple of games last year on the right side, did not look good. He had a, one terrible game there. So I do think you need a backup plan in case it doesn't work out, in case he's really struggling. Um, and then especially, like, if Sandine is his preseason, I kind of want him to start on the left side because, you know, he's going to get thrown to the fire at some point. Don't know if I want to throw him on the, on the, on the offside. But I, I think if, assuming that you're right and assuming that Sandine is on the right side, uh, obviously, Lilligren and Sandine can't be the third pair right shot defenseman. Only one of them can be in that role. So that would, I would assume it'd be Lilligren who jumps up in the top four. He's got more of a shutdown skill set than Sandine, I think. Uh, he's obviously a right shot. So him playing on the right side in the top four probably makes more sense than starting Sandine there. So I would, really the question is, you could go Riley Brody. And then Muzzin Lilligren's almost your shutdown pair. But, you know, it'd be a new role for Lilligren. He's not necessarily used to playing against top competition. Um, I actually think it would be Riley Lilligren with a bunch of offensive zone starts. Um, and then you'd go a shutdown pair of, of Muzz and Brody like they did in the playoffs. But I do think it's it could be situation dependent. Uh, obviously, you know, Riley Lilligren, if, if they're not playing well through like three games, I think they'd, they'd change it pretty quickly. Uh, the other thing is like, it could be a little bit of, in terms of who you're matching up against where, you know, if the Edmonton Oilers, or the Colorado Avalanche are in town, do you want Lilligren up against McDavid? I don't know. Um, maybe they go with a more traditional shutdown pair then of, of, of Muzzin Brody, uh, and then go Riley Lilligren. But it isn't, there's not a perfect, I don't think there's perfect defense pairs where we can sit back and say, this is what they do. 
this looks perfect. It's never going to change. You're going to have these six and, and these roles the whole year. Uh, I do think that there's quite a few question marks in terms of who is where, who's on what side, who plays with who. But it will make the preseason and I guess the the early parts of the season a little bit more interesting because we will have to watch closely to kind of see who looks comfortable on their offside and how how guys are playing together because we're going to see some combinations we haven't seen before. Yeah, it's, it's a good problem to have, um, especially when you have seven defensemen that you know can play in the NHL. And it's funny because last year we talked about lines and line combination, who's going to play with who and who's going to make the team. And I, I can't remember who got injured during the preseason. It might have been, was it Engvall or Mikhaev? Mikhaev. Mikhaev did it. It was Mikhaev, right? Yeah. And then, you know, all the, answer, all the answers were were right in front of us <laughs> as soon as he got injured. So hopefully they don't, they stay healthy during the preseason. But obviously these things do happen. So, but yeah, you know, all in all, it's a good defense. Uh, I'm excited to see how they do this year um, with a full year with Mark Giordano on their defense and just having three lines that you can really trust on the ice. Yeah, I'm interested too. Like, I, I do say, I think they had a pretty good offseason. I don't know if they're... I feel like they get a lot of criticism for their offseason because they're a team that was already quite good, um, even though the playoff performance or the, the playoff success didn't really reflect that. Um, but, you know, teams like Ottawa, teams like Columbus, teams that were pretty bad last year, it was very easy for them to improve um and they did so right i think they get a lot of credit for their offseason whereas some of the top teams whether it be a tamp or a toronto they're already quite good they don't have to they're just kind of tinkering around the edges and uh, i did think they did quite well like i like the obey cabell signing i think that's going to prove to be uh, a good deal i think he's going to be a, a regular in the lineup a player that we like in the bottom six i think the yarn croak deal is going to end up being pretty good uh, i know the term is a little bit much at four years but it's not much more than the mil- like than the minimum, right? And with the signing bonuses, you should be able to get out of that. I do think it's going to have some surplus value the first two years. Then we'll see after that. We'll see how he ages. But it's an easy contract to get out of compared to like Richie or uh, Mrazek that had backloaded deals. I think they'll be fine. I'm not too worried about that. I do I do like the, having another player that can play center if needed. Um, and then I think just how they obviously the Giordano signing was great. Um, but even the goaltending, I think it's interesting. I think it's a bit risky because you're taking on some guys, you know, you don't have really a true number one or a guy that's been all that steady over like a consistent three year sample or something, but they didn't give up any draft picks. They didn't take on a ton of long-term risk with the goaltending. And, you know, you could have given up a first round pick to address your goaltending situation in the off season, but now they still have that card in hand. So if, if a Murray doesn't succeed, if Sam Sonoff's really struggling, you could make a, a big move midseason because you do have the assets to, to go out and do that, right? So I, I actually think they've had a good offseason. It's going to be interesting to see what they do. I'm expecting Hall to get traded to like Vancouver, Seattle for like a late-round pick. I don't think it's going to be much. I don't think even if they trade Kerfoot, they'll get much um, just because we've seen like Evan Rodriguez take a big discount. Uh, there's not much cap space to go around. And especially at right right defense, there's actually not a lot of jobs out there in teams' top sixes. I've seen all the rosters. I mean, there's teams where, yes, they could improve, like a Montreal, that just aren't really looking to make the playoffs or are a true contender. But I think I think Seattle and, and Vancouver are really the two teams I could see for, for Hall. Um, that's, my, that's my guess, but I'm, I'm expecting very little. I think this offseason is pretty much done. And I'm excited to just watch the rest of the prospect tournament and, and get into preseason here. Yeah, that's when you know the season is just around the corner. But, you know, I think before we talk about the prospect tournament, I think every year there's kind of a few stats that stick out as as being pretty special. And, and two years ago, I talk about this all the time, it was Jason Spezza's um, even strength scoring. Just an incredible year given how much he played or how little he played and how much he was producing last year the craziest stat to me was when you look at the Leafs save percentage at five on five it was 90.87 and when I sort you know they were they were 27th in the league in terms of even strength um in in terms of even strength save percentage yes and when you look at the other teams that were around them you've got New Jersey Seattle Arizona Buffalo Detroit Toronto Columbus, Montreal, Chicago, Anaheim. 
in the bottom 12, like the next playoff team was Vegas, who was 20th with 94 points. Everyone else around them, the points are less than 81. And Toronto finished with 115 points. Like, I think that's pretty remarkable. Like, no other team was even close to the playoffs that got that type of goaltending. So I think if anything, I know that goaltending is a question mark, but they can't possibly be worse than last year. And even if they do get goaltending that was as bad as last year, which I really hope they don't, I mean, we've seen this team still make the playoffs, still get home ice advantage given that save percentage. So I do think Murray and Samsonov hopefully will be better than what uh, Campbell and Mrazek were able to do last year. But, um, I mean, this is a good team, and I, I think we're kind of down on them, and, and people are really scared about the goaltending. Like, But it, it's almost as if last year they had bad goaltending and they almost missed the playoffs, but that wasn't the case. They were still a good team. They still comfortably made the playoffs, even though their goaltending was so, so bad. So, you know, I want to see this team this year get, you know, solid goaltending, get good backup goaltending from Samsonov. Hopefully he can kind of put pressure on Murray for the number one job. And I want to see how good this team can be because I think there is this President's Trophy potential, obviously, with this team. I think everyone knows that, but I think it's closer than we even expect given how bad that goaltending was last year. Yeah, and Matt Murray had a really strong second half. Like, he was the best goalie, one of the best goalies in the NHL for about a month and a half before he got hurt. Um, so who knows? Maybe he stays healthy and has a huge year. I do think there is risk that that happens again in terms of being low in five on five save percentage. Hopefully, both goalies are are playable though, right? Like I feel like Mrazek was borderline unplayable at times. Maybe not even borderline, just flat out unplayable at times. Um, hopefully, they're both at least above nine hundred, like nine hundred five. Give them a chance because I do think that to my point earlier, like there are so many the the bottom teams are a lot better going into the year like columbus new jersey ottawa uh even like detroit buffalo should get a little bit better i do think it's going to be hard to get two points on these teams if they if you do really struggle at net on a given night versus last year the Leafs were just night and day better than a lot of these teams they could overcome bad goal thing a little bit easier and still come out with a one goal five four win uh, but i i do think that that's obviously the biggest question uh, if one's struggling, I do think they could add goaltending at the deadline. We'll see. But if, if, if like you said, if, if the goaltending bounces back, if the Leafs are somehow top 10 in, in save percentage, uh, they do. I, I could certainly see the, the president's trophy potential. But obviously health is going to be very important. Goaltending is going to be very important. And then uh, I, I, just, a, just some smaller questions in terms of bottom six scoring, in terms of, uh, who plays on the right side and how the defense pairs shake out. And then just having the same special team success as last year will be key too because I think last year at times, you know, the Tavares line wasn't great, the fourth line wasn't great, and sometimes the special teams were really the difference. And losing Mikhaev is is one thing, but we have seen the power play get cold at times, especially the previous year. Um, so, you know, keeping that successful will be will be key as well. But... Anything you wanted to get into in terms of the prospect tournament? I know, uh, you know, we, we touched on Robertson. Uh, there, there isn't, you know, there's no Toby Nemo, there's no Mirov, there's no Nyes, but there's still been some some interesting prospects like Steve's, like Fraser Minton, uh, like William Villeneuve. Who stood out to you through through two games? Yeah, you know, it's only been two games, but definitely Steve's. I've always been a fan of him. I thought he was probably the Marley's best or second best player of last year. Um, but Steve definitely stands out. I think just naturally we look at Robertson and watch Robertson a bit more with that potential of making the the actual lineup. I think Steve does as well. Uh, Fraser Minton, just super solid. He actually had a fight yesterday um, in that game. Um, but other than that, you know, I think it's just fun to watch hockey again. Like I think Nick Aprizisi was also pretty good. He scored yesterday too from pretty much as an ease so anyone else that stood out stood out to you kevin because it's tough to take too many kind of takeaways from two games especially when it's when it's all prospects um especially when both games were i think the first game was what six two and the second one was eight three so i think the top guys have been a bit disappointing like robertson where you know a guy that was so good at the hl level in terms of producing offense last year he's playing at a prospect tournament you expect him to dominate i don't know if we've seen that yet there's still a couple games to go here 
Um, I think Steve's has stood out in a positive way, as you said. Just his speed. Like, he's that guy could fly. Uh, he's got some, you know, breakaway, pull-away speed. Uh, I do think he's got to get a little bit stronger in the corners in terms of winning battles and, and maybe a little bit better defensively. But uh, there's some skill there. There's some speed there. It's a good combination to have. I think Abruzzese's been pretty good. Uh, I actually, I didn't think he was very good at the Leafs last year. I mean, he was, you know, just coming out of college. I guess that's understandable. He only played nine games, but uh, he has looked like one of the better players on the ice most shifts. Uh, and then on, on on the back end, like, I have, like, the defense. Uh, I don't know if there's really a stud back there. Like, I wouldn't say, you know, I think a Topi Niemela, if he was in this tournament, would be their best defenseman uh, by a, a decent margin. But, you know, Villeneuve's interesting yeah. because he, he can move the puck. He's not all that small. You know, the skating's still a bit iffy, but we'll see if that comes around, if he gets a little bit better there. Who knows? Oh, SDA's been pretty good. Yeah. Uh, I think he's in good. for a big year at the Marlies. I mean, he's he's going to have questions for the NHL with his size and lack of strength, but I do think he's going to have a good year at the Marlies. I think he needs to have a good year with the Marlies, given his, uh, I think it's his last year of his contract, right? Uh, yeah, I think he'll stay around. I'm not sure about the contract status, but he'll get at least another year or two, I think. Hope so. Yeah, I think he's a likable player. He's he's he definitely needs uh he's he's been pretty good with the Marlies. I think uh Gogolev scored yesterday. He's been pretty good. Um Yeah, he's been interesting. He's got, the growlers, he's got the uh, size there. and long reach, right? Yeah. So for all the Growlers fans out there. But hopefully he can stick around with the Marlies for the full year. <laughs> That's I when you know. That's when you know it's a good podcast when we're starting to talk on the about back the, end, the borderline liked, uh, Crowlers, Marley's guys. Well, I got a guy in the AHL contract of like Marshall Raffae, I think his name is. I don't know how to pronounce his name even, but he's been pretty good. He's like, a, he, I don't think he went to Harvard. He's he's fairly, he's not huge, but he's like got decent size. He's a good skater. He's fairly athletic. I've liked him. I think he might actually like play for the Marlies this year based on what I've seen. It's only been two games, of course, and he's kind of a defensive defenseman, so <laughs> still a lot of time for him to ruin that. But so far, I've really liked him. Uh, I think Villeneuve crawls interesting. I think Mikko Koken is kind of interesting. Um, but hopefully they, they play a little bit better. I think that, you know, from if you have a line of Steves, Minton, and, and Robertson, you're expecting a bit more. Mm-hmm. I think Minton's been a little bit boring. Like, I haven't seen a ton from him yet, but... We'll see. Like he's got some, he's got a little bit of size. He's it seems like he has a little bit of two way potential. Uh, at least he plays center, which is which is a premium position. But you know, after after that last game, it, it was a little bit disappointing against St. Louis. So I'm expecting, I'm hoping they they come in here. You know, they play today. A recording Sunday morning here. They play in a couple hours. I think they play tomorrow as well. And then hopefully, uh, hopefully we have a little bit more positives to talk about in terms of like Robertson, Steves, Abruzzese, Minton, just racking up points because a little bit disappointing, I'd say. Yeah, definitely a must win today, I would say. It is a must win. It is a must yeah. win. I mean, Dubas is going to have to call a press conference or answer a few questions if they lose 8-3 again. I have a... So one trivia question before we get out of here. It's a little bit niche, as most of our trivia questions are. It is Marley's related, Nick. Love it. I was surprised by this. I I was a little bit surprised by this. Don't be looking anything up. Don't be looking anything up. Uh, I was a little bit surprised by this, because I was looking at numbers from last year. And I still followed the Marley's last year, but I didn't watch as much as maybe previous years. So maybe that's why I was a bit surprised. Who were the top two goal scorers on the Toronto Marlies last year? Oh, I'm not going to get this one. I would say, okay, so Joey Anderson. He was number one. Yeah. 26 goals in 56 games. I don't think Robertson played that much enough to be up there. He only played 28 games. Yeah, he didn't play enough. Um, let's say Kurt Doug maybe or um, <laughs> was it? No, he no, had thirteen okay. goals. This player had twenty four goals. Twenty four goals. Wow. Uh, give me one hint. Like, has he played for the Leafs yet? <laughs> he hasn't played for the Leafs. He's not in the prospect tournament. He's a little bit on the older end. Oh God. Uh... I, ha- I actually have no clue. 24 goals. 
Bobby McMahon. McMahon, yeah, 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 okay. I, I was... He was good last I kinda, year. Yeah, kind of interesting, because he's a bigger guy. Uh, he's a good work ethic. Like, I'm interested to see what he can do. He's not at the prospect tournament. But I was just looking at the Marlies, and I, I would have thought, like, the best players were, like, like a lot of them were playmakers, right? Like, Ho Sang and Sini, Gamora Assist guys. And then... You know, Robertson had 16 goals in 28 games. He was only 10 off, but he only played half a season, basically. Yeah, um, yeah. Well, who, so how old it'll is be Bobby him McMahon? this year. 26. So he's on the older end. Yeah, I mean, he's 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 one of the bunting prospects. Yeah, we'll see what he does. I think Anderson has a real chance to make the team. Joey Anderson? Well, I think because his versatility, right? Like, you could potentially put him next to Camp and be pretty comfortable him taking defensive zone starts, right? So I think just that in itself, like, there's not really any other prospects that I think Keith would be comfortable putting next to Camp. So I think the fact that Anderson has that skill set, he's pretty good defensively, definitely helps him. So, yeah, I think he's, he's kind of a... He's kind of a sneaky player that not a lot of people are talking about right now, but... But yeah, he was a good goal scorer with the Marlies too, so that's good. Yeah, he played with Robertson. He he needs waivers to go down, so I think if it's close between him and Robertson, that they'll start with Anderson on that line, maybe in a fourth line role, and then Robertson starts getting tons of minutes with the Marlies and then comes up mid season. That's my guess. Um, I think I think Anderson's got a real shot. We'll see. Obviously, he's got to play well in in preseason to to earn a role, but uh, he's an interesting player as well. So. Uh, with that being said, thanks everyone for listening. I think for our next episode, we'll have some games to talk about. So thanks everyone again for listening, and hopefully we're, we're back with a, a couple preseason wins next time. <laughs>